out there, and welcome to No Stupid Answers episode 13, the show with the most qualified people discussing and answering the most interesting questions from Reddit. I'm Colton Wallace. Jessica is off this week. I'm joined by first time on the podcast, Scott Kudron. He's your conscious, our conscious, everyone's conscious, Scott Kudron. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Our Generation Z representative, Quinn Foster. Hey, guys. How's it going? Queen of podcasting, Lori Asava. Woohoo! Hey, all. And our resident linguist, Josh Lieto. Hey, guys. Our new segment, What's Up with Gen Z? Quinn, what's up with Gen Z? Uh, not much. You know, I'm working from home right now, so I don't get out a lot, but we're in the I middle gotcha. of a heat wave in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to conserve energy. Got the message to turn my thermostat up, so trying to do my part. How hot is it there? Uh, I think with the index it was like 108 today. Oh, it's wow. that sounds horrible. All right. Well, we'll move directly on to our questions this week. Um, our first question comes in from Reddit user Tweety's voice. And the question is, does a 20 minute power nap include the time it takes to fall asleep? As someone who has problems falling asleep, how can you set an alarm to ensure that you only sleep 20 minutes and not any lesser anymore? Um, we got any power nappers in here? Um, I wish I was like a diligent power napper. It's like, I'm going to take a power nap and then I'm out for like three hours. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm the right person to ask. I, I mean, I can't even fall asleep when I try to take a nap. Like it's taking a nap's like an impossibility. I don't know how people do it. So you never take naps? I mean, very rarely if I'm like, I have to be amazingly tired. Usually if I try to, I'll think I'm tired and then I go to lay down and I can't fall asleep. All of a sudden I'm not tired enough to sleep anymore. You're using your brain too hard for this nap. I, I, I think that's the problem. So it always amazes me when people are like, yeah, let me take a 30 minute nap. I'm like, how, how would I even fall asleep by that time? I read a book. When? The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. By Daniel Pink. Okay. Um, and they talk about power naps in it. And one of the tips was to drink a cup of coffee before you go to your like power nap. Because if you drink it before, it takes about 20 minutes for the coffee and like the caffeine to settle in. So when you wake up, you're going to be more awake. So I've heard this exact thing too. And I never knew if it was true or just like a myth. It's It says like, well, there's receptors that the caffeine would fill. So if you drink the coffee, take a nap, you open the receptors up again, and then the caffeine can get in those receptors and function again, essentially. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Do you think it works? Has anybody tried it? I have not tried it. I have not either. I'm not a big napper. I usually save my sleep for the nights. I've also heard that you could put your legs up. I've heard that if you put your leg, like you elevate your legs above your heart, uh-huh. that helps you fall asleep. Interesting. Um, but I'm assuming, with, yeah, I'm, I, I read it somewhere, so it may be worth a shot. The other thing I was going to say, it seems with anything in life, right, you just practice it and hopefully you, you know, you can get better at it. So I would say continue trying to do 20 minute naps and hopefully you'll, you'll get progress. I would argue I've been trying to practice falling asleep for like most of my life at this point. And I don't, I don't feel like I've gotten that amazingly good at it. 
Yeah, but you probably don't use the same environment, right? Like you, you do something different every night, right? Or no? I guess I don't have like a pristine like routine of bed and bedtime. and But I, I don't know that the modern society allows you to have that, or at least it doesn't lend itself to that. I can sleep anywhere at any time. I have never had a problem taking a nap unless I like really am not feeling very good. Um, it's the timing thing that is throwing me off of this question. So does it count as like, as you're winding down and you're waking up, like, is that part of your 20 minutes? Do you count a 20 minute power nap as the full time that you're sleeping? That seems like what the, the user is asking us, but I, I feel like it's 20 minutes of like quiet time to me. Like it's and over time, that quiet time will take, you'll go from being awake and like aware to like over time being very consistent. You become more of a, okay, now I'm going to fall asleep and now I'm going to fall asleep faster. And I feel like what you're kind of saying, Quinn, of like practicing, but making it consistent for that 20 minutes and maybe you'll fall asleep and maybe you won't. But the more that you put it into habit, you probably get better at it. Mm -hmm. Your body will get used to that sort of rhythm of falling asleep in a certain time. Going back to what Lori said, I think that Tweety's voice is is thinking about it too hard. I think you just got to try and do it. I think they're trying to apply too much of an exactness to it when they just need to like pick a time, pick whatever they want it to be and just go for it. I definitely That's what I would think. Mm Like, if you want a relaxing nap, you can't bring in the logistics. <laughs> Unless it's, like, about, like, comforting your pillow or whatever. But I feel like that's as far as you can think about it. Yeah, I feel like if I if someone was like, okay, you need to try and take a 20-minute nap, I would spend 20 minutes thinking about how I'm failing at the task of not being able to sleep. So I've, I've already outthought it. Yeah, <laughs> Colton, you are no good for naps. <laughs> Overthinker over here. Okay, so say you get really good at taking a nap. Like, what time of the day do you take a nap? And then how do you apply that? I can't think of any time in the day where I can be like, oh, this would be a time I could take a nap at every day. Like, am I just going to be, you know, at work? Like, well, it's nap time, guys. I got to end this meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I think usually your energy levels are pretty low i think between like two and four so kind of in the afternoonish is when you might want to do a power nap depending on your schedule assuming that it's a regular you know work right. working schedule yeah i'd be a little worried maybe trying to nap at like closer to four though because i feel like that might start to disrupt your sleep at night i guess 20 minutes is perfect amount of time to like make you feel like you've slept but i will say i am all for bringing siestas to the u.s anybody else out there i mean like spain's got it down greece has it down like really around like that kind of one to four time frame where um like you said quinn we get really tired like that is when everybody shuts down and you can't do anything because it's nap time (laughs) So I guess two things with that. Um, One, I would say how late do they work in the day and like how much does that cut into their time? 
And two, is some of that based around like how hot it gets at some places like near the equator midday? I've heard of that in like South America, I feel like. I could definitely see based on heat, um, also just how the culture is, Mm -hmm. but it does say, okay, I've Googled it. And siesta is an afternoon rest or nap, especially one taken during the hottest hours of the day in a hot climate. Well, let's do it for cold days, cold weather too. <laughs> the peak of the cold is yeah, isn't that like the middle of the night. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think our answer then it sounds like is that a twenty-minute power nap does not. It, you're not considering just the time you sleep. It's just you start. You you should set yourself a block of time, and that's your nap time, whether you sleep or not. I guess so. I found. This thing called Nappuccino. Okay. And it says Nappuccino or how to take the perfect nap. The coffee nap. And there's four steps. The first is find your afternoon trough time, which is like the time when your energy energy level is really low. Okay. Um, Close the door and turn off your phone. Um, So this is create. Number two is create a peaceful environment. Close the door and turn off your phone. Insulate yourself from sound and light. So you got to get get the vibe right. Okay. Um, down a cup of coffee, which is what we talked about. Um, it won't fully engage in your bloodstream for 25 minutes. Uh, and then set a timer for 25 minutes. If you nap for more than half an hour, sleep inertia takes over and you need extra time to recover. If you nap for less than five minutes, you don't get much benefit. But naps in between 10 and 20 minutes boost your alertness and mental function. And then there is a fifth step that says repeat consistently every day. Nappuccino. I'm going to say that all the time now. Yeah, get a little nappuccino for myself. <laughs> that's that's going to be the newest trend at um, trendy companies, nappuccino pods. It's like <laughs> nappuccino a, time. It's a, it's a nap pod, but there's a Keurig attached to the outside of it. There you go. It's all you need for a perfect nap. All right, Tweety's Voice, I hope that we provided some insight for you. Good luck if you continue trying to nap or just be like me and don't. Um, Our next question posted on Reddit by user CourtK1212. And the question is, is this the worst time in the world to be alive? I hope not. (laughs) That'd be so sad. I think it's absolutely not the worst time to be alive. Um. I would say it's probably the best time, but do we have any any disagreeers with that idea? No, I I very much in agreement. This is probably the best time to be alive, uh, all things considered. I mean, not to downplay like recent struggles that we've had, you know, when we're especially when we're looking at COVID and uh, the lack, you know, what many of us have had in recent years, like a lack of exposure to uh, you know just other people. And right now we also have that war in Russia with Ukraine. I mean, you listen to the news and you just kind of hear all this negative stuff all the time. And I know that can bring people's mood down. But as far as other factors, life expectancy, health, food, access to food, especially like this is easily the best time to be alive in history. Go back 30 years, 40 years, like 1980. Like, just think about 1980. Would you want to live in 1980? I wouldn't want to live in 1980. 
after all of uh, the Stranger Things that I've been watching, I kind of dig the 80s. So, I don't know. Just think about the, the simple thing of, like, not having the internet like we have today. I mean, it's so easy to just access so much stuff through the internet. I can't, I cannot stand the thought of going back to a time where I don't have that. Just that alone, the communication, like, like we're doing right now, talking to each other, like this would not be possible at all. I kind of like have this nostalgia. I am like in a weird phase of like, I would love for the internet just to like stop. (laughs) at the point of like you know i could go back to the walkie talkie days (laughs) and the days where you write everything down with pencil and you forget about it and when you're working you're not working around the clock i kind of am into that but then i think about all the other things we've definitely come a long way Mm -hmm. in some areas but I do think that there's this part of me that is longing for simplicity, Mm -hmm. but there's also part of me that realizes how far we've come. Right. And like you can get overloaded with all the stuff we have, but it's like the trade-off for all the stuff we have when you want it is pretty nice. I definitely agree that it's not the worst time. I think it's probably the best time, but I also don't know how you can fairly say it's the best time if you haven't experienced you know a little slice of all the other times well we can we can go through and debunk the other times if you want so let's go uh (laughs) 1980s um 1980s how much like pollution it was in the air like if you went to a city in the 80s next to like a freeway just think about all that that nice like smog build up that you could just breathe in but did you know it was bad at the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's also an element of knowledge so, like so we have I mean, to delete the knowledge smoking. too yeah. <laughs> i mean everybody's smoking oh, right. those, Smoke like you know everywhere. like they don't realize that it's bad oh. so it's just like simple and like that's just the way of life but now we know better we know things so i mean that's where the whole idea of you know it, we're in a very good time because we know so much but back then you didn't know that stuff I think it's still bad, even if you don't know. When was uh, penicillin invented? Because we can debunk all the time before that. Anyways, it's not important. Basically, any time before that, definitely not better. Um, I was, I'm allergic to penicillin, okay, but, so I have But the, argument. you know, the other uh, <laughs> antibiotics developed further from it, essentially. That was the... Yes, just kidding. <laughs> but for the record, after a quick Google search, uh, penicillin was invented on September 28th, 1928. There you go. Um, and I feel wow. like, I guess I, I, this question is because I see this all the time where people are like, oh, is this the worst time in the world to be alive? I've, I see this said so much. And I understand, I think it's out of frustration of some, some other thing that's happening. But I think saying, is this the worst time to be alive is a very bad argument to make because of something else. Because... When you look at the world as a whole, it is most certainly not the worst time in the world to be alive. Right. I guess, how do you measure that, though? I, I just, I, it's more of a uh, proof as opposed to a direct measurement. So gotcha. I just did a geometric proof on that one. Right. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, to take it a little bit further, is you believe that 
people are happier now than past times and you know in the world i think that's like kind of taking it to the next level of yeah we live in the best time right now but are people happier now than they were in past times um it's probably too much of an individual level like are you saying like is the average happiness better yeah i'd say you know is the average person happier now than they were than the average person was happy in the 50s or the 60s I think easily if you go back far enough, like you look at like the quality of life and the things that they like had, I would say I'm probably happier than they were. Generally, I would say people are. If you look at like the 1920s, I and then look at like what we can kind of what the standard of living is now, I would say it's like you could look at that and be like, okay, yeah, now is definitely better. I think that. It's really hard because, right, the the things that we're talking about that are really, really bad, you've got pandemics, you have um, a lot of social issues that have been for like 400 years, mm-hmm. there's systematic issues, you have like rights that are being taken away, things that are happening in the world, um, but we know about them mm-hmm. and You didn't really know about some of those things back then. It's like opening your eye to a lot of the dirt that's fallen between the cracks that hasn't been talked about. Um, But we actually have the ability to know, to relearn, and to make change faster than you could have done back then. Mm -hmm. And I just think about like all of the things that have been upsetting when I see things come through in my news. Like, you would have never gotten that information at the click of a button before. And so it's also like a mental issue of like, what is, uh, what am I constantly being fed Mm -hmm. and how does that make me feel? And I feel like you're getting, you're not getting the news every day at the same time. You're getting it all day, every day. Um, And that can upset you, right? Depending on what the news is. Yeah, that makes sense. There was one article from the Atlantic essentially saying while people get richer, they don't necessarily get happier. So like you get these comforts, but you don't necessarily get happier. So I was saying, you know, it might be the best time for, you know, consumer electronics, all the different benefits, you know, we were talking about, but are true, you know, people truly happier. Yeah. There's things I feel like that are enjoyable in all times, right? Like eating an amazing meal right now. Great. 40 50 years ago but then there's other things like um just like quality of products you use like quality of machinery you use like think about driving a car now versus driving a car in a 1960s 70s car the cars now are so much better so much nicer to drive better ride quality like just things like that are just exponentially better josh what's your golden era what is my golden era? Yeah, you you're a gold. What's your? Are you like a big like two thousands guy? You're like man, the two thousands. That was it. That was the, as you said before when we were talking about the Matrix, the peak of humanity. I believe you called it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it'd be really interesting uh, to live in the nineteen twenties because that's a really fun period of human history the roaring 20s and it was this huge leap ahead in terms of technology and it was just a very exciting time in history 
between the world wars. I think that's an interesting time. But realistically, I know that this is a, this is a question that people have thought about seriously. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this book by author Steven Pinker. It's called The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. And it basically argues that, uh, yes, the time we live in right now is actually the best time to be alive in terms of um, the in terms of the, like the the fact that the violence is at, is like has been on a decline for a long time and so it's currently at an all-time low and we also have had as you guys have mentioned better communication so there's more information that's available so it seems crazy that uh we're like we're seeing and hearing about all these terrible things that happening in the news but at the same time that can paint an impression that uh the world is maybe more violent than it actually is um, because as I think you guys maybe hinted at before, you know, in, in time, in times uh, in the past when there was just a lot less communication and, and less access to information, things would just happen and just, you know, fewer people would know about it. Right. But now it's like we have better access to information and to knowing what's happening. Right. So you just see a lot more of it, like Lori was saying. Right. So we all agree, not only is this not the worst time in the world to be alive, it's the best time to be alive. Thanks for your question, Court K1212. And um, I hope that you come around to the idea that the world's in the right place right about now. Our next question, posted on Reddit by user Don't Worry About 1TTT. And the question is Sending a love letter to a guy, do guys appreciate? like love letters or is it just annoying um so guys do you guys appreciate love letters i would definitely appreciate it if it was from a specific person right i think you can't just get a random you know send a random love letter to i mean you can but oh you you can well, send a random you know, love i feel letter. like you need some sort of uh base or some sort of expectation that they will receive it the right way but i almost think you got to take your shot so you, you just yeah put that thing in the mail i guess i'm not against it i don't think love letters i guess are they don't seem like common anymore maybe that's just because they're not common in like media so i don't ever see it and i don't send love letters um do any of you guys send love letters in this modern age i feel like the question could even be broadened does does anyone even send letters period <laughs> i love sending letters and i love finding cute little cards and sending them to friends, but also to my husband. I, I give Josh all kinds of little love letters and I love when he, he gives them to me. That's cute. I have a whole box of letters. And give us an example from letters and postcards and everything. <laughs> yes. I love snail mail. There's just, I think this gets back to the first question we were talking about around like eras that you'd like to live in. I am very much like, I don't know, the simple, like <laughs> handwritten thoughtfulness. I like it. Yeah. And I do collect postcards. So if anybody wants to send me one, I will happily take it. Right. So it's cool that you can like send a letter, but then it's like not cool when you can only send a letter. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess that's true. Um, well, that's cool that you actually, you guys actually do that. Um, I, I don't send letters at all and I, but I don't know that I wouldn't appreciate somebody sending me a letter. I think the thing that I would like find kind of weird about it for myself is I hate writing letters. So I would be like, well, I don't want to write a letter back. So, you know, it puts me in a spot where I feel like maybe I should, but I don't want to. I already know that about myself. I agree. I think I would feel the same way of having to, you know, wanting to reciprocate, but maybe not wanting to like stuck in that in between. Um, I do think now that I'm thinking about it more, I'm pretty sure most guys would appreciate a love letter and maybe not even a love letter, just a letter, you know, saying that, Oh, I think of you like a like letter. Not even, I mean, just something that shows that someone else is thinking about you and cares about you. Right. Like, I think that's, I'm pretty sure everybody would appreciate that if it's, you know, actually genuine. And so, yeah. Um, I don't think there's any problems with doing it. What's the worst that happens, right? Rejection. You move on to the next guy. Send send the next letter out. <laughs> Make a couple copies. Send them to multiple people. <laughs> Just to go Control F to find and replace <laughs> replace John with Peter with Paul. Yeah, I hundred percent don't think like that there's any reason not to do it if you're just sending one letter and i don't think that's an annoying thing as the question asked um i I think definitely if you want to do it go for it i i also quinn you brought up the point about if it's actually like a genuine written thing but most cards that you get now if you give somebody a card for an event like you give them a card that you go buy from a store and you just sign it that's what i do that's what I've done. And I hate cards. I think cards are <laughs> cards that you buy from the store and just give to people are the dumbest things that I can think of right now. Wow, Colton, I am not sending you one ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're fun. I like well, yeah, them. But, okay. but I put I a think, note in it. I don't just yeah, like you sign write, my name. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the thing. Like you write something in there and that's that's a good card. A lot of cards don't do that. It's just a formality to get a card, I think, in a lot of cases. But I think that that's dumb. But I, I like get the idea of a card, but I don't know. It's just not my thing. I don't like writing notes and cards and sending them to people. Do you just throw away the card when you get it? Like what, what is your shelf life for a card that somebody gave you? Um, I have a box that has pretty much all the cards I've ever gotten. So you do hold on to them, even though you find them useless. (laughs) No, I don't. So it's not that I find them useless. If you are, I guess it's not really the, I get that there's a thought in getting a card for someone and definitely like when people write notes in them, that's really cool. But I'm saying just the formality of getting a card and mm. like just putting a name on it. If somebody leaves a position that's that they've been working at, like everyone just signs their name on a card. And I don't know, I guess sometimes people put notes in there. But just the, the idea of like the card that's just you buy a card and it's got a phrase on it and then you for like a wedding. Like I don't I don't know. I don't usually write notes in my wedding gift cards. Maybe I'm the odd one out here who's not writing long notes in all my cards. <laughs> 
cheese. Colton. Do you guys do you guys all put long notes in all your cards for like weddings or birthday cards? I don't. But sometimes, for, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like if I'm going out shopping for a card, like there are times I'm spending like 20 minutes in the card aisle alone just trying to find one that actually looks good to me. Could have spent those 20 minutes writing your own. I, that, yeah, that's the way I feel afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't do it either. I definitely do. I was going to say, I don't give cards just to anybody. <laughs> but <laughs> but I do write a message, and I think it's important to write a message. Because, well, what's the point of the card, right? Usually it's to show your appreciation. Or right. it's, it's not usually to communicate. Most people don't communicate with with letters anymore you know yeah cards aren't my love language right that's what mm-hmm. yeah but when you get a card and it has a message in it and you know it's it's like from an old friend that is reminiscing or i don't know if that happens anymore but like it, it makes you appreciate it right like it makes you appreciate the person that gave it to you it you know you get good feelings from it it makes you happy for a second yeah. and i think that's really the point of it right and then Maybe if it has sentimental value, you you save it for later and you can go back and, and check it out and, you know, get some of those feelings back. But like you said, with like a for wedding, sure. a wedding um, card, I think when you're getting a bulk delivery of wedding cards, they probably don't mean as much. And I don't think when you're receiving them, you expect that much. Right. So I. I said that, but people probably write like nice messages in their wedding cards. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I was using myself. I just don't, and I don't know. Like I talk to people when they get married and say things, but I just don't put it in cards like that. I think I'm just bad at it, and it frustrates me that it's like a common thing, and I just don't want to expose myself as bad at it, so I can't write messages. That's the problem here. That's what I've. That's what I've solved here in the last five minutes. I mean, we could do a trend analysis, Colton, if you'd like one day. I have all of the wedding cards that we got from our wedding a couple, well, what, six months ago. And Uh I think most people are like you. I think most people will put money in the card and it's more of Uh a transfer of money. And people will put just their names and not really a long message depending on who you are and how close you are and and all of that but i feel like for those occasions your card is not really a function of um like message but more of a function of gift right now if you are writing a love letter it needs to be genuine it needs to be authentic it needs to be catered towards the person that you are sending that note to i think and if that person doesn't really like those things then you need to find a different way to show your care for them based on how they like to receive that um Mm -hmm. and i also don't think you need to overthink it like i am okay with little love post-it notes or a little piece of a like a corner of a paper ripped off with a little note on my desk in the morning it doesn't have to be like an elaborate thing it can be yeah very small and scrappy and i guess looking at it that way like i definitely could do stuff like that like with jessica but i guess it's just in like the other sense of like sending cards to people so yeah i send this love letter and then tell us about it i want you to send us send us this love letter (sighs) to blind copy us on it and if you haven't seen to all the boys i loved before 
it's a great movie to watch while writing your love letters because it's all, all about sending that... <laughs> love letters. And... Is, that a, is that a Disney movie from like it the is 2000s? On, no, it's on Netflix. It's a very okay. good movie. Probably more of the... It's definitely more of a rom-com vibe. Whoever likes those, I fully recommend. And it talks about love stories. What's and it love what letters. was it called again? To all the boys I've loved before. And there's a second right. one as well. Oh, great. Do they, do they break up after the first one? You gotta watch, like... Colton. Oh, man. <laughs> or they gotta re-find what made them love each other in the first place by writing each other love letters every yeah, day. Yeah, I'm not giving away any spoilers. <laughs> get, your, get your red wine. Get some <sighs> popcorn. Maybe some pizza. Settle in, cozy up, and watch the movie, and then we can discuss. All right, I will watch it and report back. It's certified Can't fresh, ninety six percent. Holy shit! Really? Yeah, ninety six percent. Oh man, it's great. All right, well, uh, good luck with your love letters. Don't worry about. Oh, don't worry about it. You used a one as an I. Clever. I see. And uh, good luck with your love letters. Um, uh, we'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to the podcast. Our next question, posted on Reddit by user the fuck you think, and the question is. Why do I feel guilty for trying to relax, even when I'm burnt out? I understand humans need rest, but I feel bad for resting. And I'm with you, guy. I've definitely felt like this most of my life. Um, I have a hard time relaxing. Do you guys have any trouble, like, trying to chill out? Are you always worried about getting something done? No. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I mean, it's hard. It will be hard to sleep. If there is something pressing that I have to do, so I'll have to, you know, get something to a state of completion to where I can fall asleep. But no, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't feel guilty for having to rest or fall asleep. But you don't, I guess, so for me, it's like, uh, I, I would always have this feeling of like, oh, I should be trying to accomplish something. Like it was very hard for me to like take a weekend and like relax. It would be, oh, I I need to be accomplishing something with my time. I need to have like quantifiable results. And that's kind of a thing that I felt followed me around for a very long time. And it's something I've been working on over the past couple of years to try and get better at relaxing so I completely understand what uh, the user is saying here. Like, I totally have this exact same thing. I would feel like I need to be accomplishing something. Like, I need to have quantifiable, like, I I got this done. Um, I hear and that, you. that kind of applied to everything. And I've gotten so much better at it. But it, it was very hard. And... It's like I would always be before I would always be anxious all the time because I was like, oh, I need to be accomplishing things. I hear you, Colton. Same thing. Yeah, I am horrible at the whole like not feeling guilty thing. Mm -hmm. I I think um, the guilt and 
Josh and I have had co- multiple conversations about all types of guilt and shame and the differences and all that stuff. But I have always kind of feel guilty if I'm resting when I think there should be something else going on, uh, specifically mm. about work. And we've right. talked a lot about like workaholism and how do you kind of like let go? And I remember a very specific moment when I realized this, actually, I, um, it was around my birthday. I went to Hawaii for vacation. Very lucky to go. I was with my friends. Um, it took me like two days to unwind, to (laughs) relax, to just sit on a beach. Like I had to like, go through a detox moment of like, I don't need to be doing other things. My sole mission is to sit on this beach and do nothing. And it took me a really long time to get there. And after that moment, I realized, okay, I don't need to get myself to a point where it takes me two days to (laughs) unwind from all the things that I've been doing. I need to be much better at resting more often and shutting my brain off and being willing to just kind of let the world happen around you. Uh, But it's really hard. Yeah. And I I feel like you get so kind of wound up with it. It, you just, you, you almost, you feel like you can't relax. It's like, I I would sit there and I would be like, okay, I'm going to take today and relax. And it, it just, I would, wouldn't be able to do it. I'd feel tense. I'd be like, Oh, I should be getting stuff done. And it's like, it becomes where there's not even anything to do, but I'm so tense about it that I can't, I can't just, I couldn't just chill out. And it, it was like a thing, for example, where I I needed stuff to be getting done and I couldn't waste time. So it was like, I would be very frustrated. Like if we needed to leave somewhere and Jessica like wasn't ready to go. And I was like, we don't have time for this. You need, you need to hurry up and get ready. We need to go. Um, and I've gotten better at that with like kind of practicing relaxation because it's like, I was so tense about like, I need to be getting stuff done and I didn't even have a reason for like why we needed to be like hurriedly doing all this stuff, but it was just like spilling over into everything where everything had to be like, uh, efficient and, and what I've been trying, I'm still, I'm still trying to get better at it is letting go of that and just kind of relaxing and just doing nothing on purpose. Yeah. I think it's a mixture of society, a mixture of self pressure, peer pressure, like all the different things happening around us. And I do think that we get exhausted faster uh, when we're on like technology, but we don't Mm -hmm. really realize it because we're around it all the time. And so I think my needing for relaxation goes up even though I'm not necessarily doing more. Like, I feel like I, my brain needs to check out a lot more recently than it has in the past. I don't know if it's just because I've become more aware of it or if it's because (laughs) getting tired of the shit. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I mean, you constantly are checking things like you're checking your phone, you're checking your email, you're checking like the news you're, you're doing, you're kind of always in a swirl. And so the, I feel like I need it a lot more recently than I have in the past Mm -hmm. or I've always needed it. And I just never realized. (laughs) Right. Just ignored it before. Yeah. Yeah. I I think for me, I like ignored it before. 
yeah quinn kudrow i think for me i'm i probably on the front end of this right now i mean i'm i just started you know actually going to work from nine to five three years ago so i'm pretty new to the to the work work life balance type of thing but i definitely um interpret pretty much everything in my life through the lens of time and i think that's pretty common for most people um i just consciously am always keeping track of how much time does this take me how much time is this going to take me and what you really said colin about always being in a rush to like do something whether you need to do it now or not is a problem that i have as well um Mm -hmm. like you said of Jessica getting ready. Cause I also do that thing with uh, my fiance, Julie. <laughs> I'll be like, well, we need to, you know, we need to go do this thing because who knows why, but we need to do it now. And she sometimes gets upset at me for that. And I definitely need to work on that. But there's obviously a difference between, you know, if you have like a reservation or if you have an appointment that you have to be there at a certain time. But I think there's still, a ba- you know, a balance that can be, um, made to where you're you're not overly pushing for constantly doing always doing 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 instead of you know maybe taking a minute to relax and rest and 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 not do anything yeah definitely anything i could say would probably just be echoing what everyone else has said i think it's always important to just kind of slow things down for yourself whenever possible so i mean we definitely live in a world where like we're just always saturated with stuff it's like any opportunity that we can take to relax, you know, slow down, take a breath. A couple things that I have done that have helped, um, turning off notifications on my phone. Like I try to limit possible, like things that pop up on my home screen. Um, so I don't really get notifications for messenger or like those types of things, but also I limit my work notifications as well. Um, so that's helped me, um, feel a little less guilty because if I if it doesn't come through, I don't feel the urgency, and then I realize, oh, I got I get to my email. It's been a couple hours. Nobody's died because I haven't <laughs> answered it. We're all good. Right. Um, I think really setting boundaries in place too of like understanding when you're adding to your plate and understanding when you actually really need to do it. That was a big lesson, and I'm still trying to figure it out of like okay, Lori, like, you don't need to add this to your plate. Nobody really cares. Like, let it go. And I think that, like, noticing what you are adding to your plate and what others are adding to your plate and being able to understand when and why and how, over time you get better at putting boundaries in place of what you're going to continue to add. So that's something that I've been practicing. I would echo that as well, because like I know when I work, uh, I I don't answer like work related emails or anything like that after like five o'clock and just kind of having that boundary in place definitely helps me separate like times when I'm supposed to be working and times when I actually have to relax. Have you ever had an issue like feeling guilty about relaxing or for you, is it always kind of you've, you've felt pretty good about where those lines are at and you, you it doesn't really... I guess, do you ever feel that tension when you try and kind of chill out? Oh, I definitely, I, I'm feeling that tension for, for the last little while because um, I work as a, a school psychologist in, uh, in an ISD. So my contracted days were over in June. I go back 
in the uh, middle of August. And so, and so that's always kind of the battle like right now. It's like, you know, I can use this time to relax, but, but then it's also like, you know, having all this time is also kind of like, I really should be doing something more than what I'm currently doing. So Josh, how do you do it? How do I do it? Yeah. We've gone through everyone in here. <laughs> You're the only one who seems to be good at the whole like uh, relaxation without guilt. So He's give us, very give us good your best tips. <laughs> Um, I, how, how am I good at relaxing without guilt? I just think that, uh, I, my perspective is that I am a mammal. I'm not a, I'm not an army ant and I don't need to be marching around and contributing to the good of the hive for every single second of my day. Uh, I'm, and I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the little things and the finer things in life, such as music and uh, maybe a fine wine and a <laughs> cheese. What? I would just say that for those who struggle falling asleep because they feel guilt, you definitely have to look into that guilt. I think, Josh, you're also very good at getting making hobbies for yourself that are disconnected from possibly like Any, work anything? or like your... Um, they're like you have different things to go to at different times. So you go to art or you go to listening to music or you go to this or that. And I haven't found a very good way of getting hobbies or things that break up my mm -hmm. long days of work um, where Josh is very good at that. And those are moments of kind of relaxing. So I think also, yes, figuring out what that guilt is. Fully support therapy if if that works for you, um, but also finding those things that like calm you down. Maybe it's art or cooking or baking. Um, I think those things you still feel productive um, in a sense, but you're finding a different way to kind of calm down and relax. Yeah, and I, I guess in terms of advice to give, so on my like journey to relax better, my first goal was to kind of try and bring down my level of anxiety and get into a mode where I could relax. And then this was a very hard thing for me. Like I, I really could not relax. Like it was a huge problem. And for me, the, the, the thing I found that really helped was to kind of reset my whole like schedule of everything I do. So I wasn't in a position where I could just stop working so I had to keep working. So basically I started out with that. The only thing I was going to worry about for however long, you know, I started out, I'm like, okay, I need to work. I need to try and sleep for eight hours. And then I started exercising on a regular routine. And that was all I concerned myself with. I kind of gave up all my other hobbies for like, I don't know, two weeks to a month to try and just kind of reset everything. And that actually seemed to help me out a lot, like taking just that time to only worry about work and just do that and not worry about any other things. And then I just kind of built up from there. I started kind of just naturally after like a month, I started getting back into other stuff I did, but I had kind of like created a new I, a schedule for myself. And I, I still from then on would focus on like spending time to just do things that were enjoyable, but not in a way where I was counting them. Um, 
I would just kind of be like, okay, I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to, you know, not worry about time for a while. And it's hard. It's not just going to happen, right? Like that's why I had to take all that time and kind of follow that schedule, but it is possible. And that that's my best advice for how to get there. I like it. Yeah. I think that's good advice. I think also encouraging your friends to take a beat. I think that's also like once you start, there is an element of peer pressure that continuously builds up things that you think you have to do. And sometimes you just need to hear your friend say, you don't need to do that. It's fine. Take a beat. And a lot of times you're comparing yourself to other people. And so if they send an email at midnight, you might respond. And that's just not creating a good cycle for anybody. So I think just holding yourself accountable to hold other people accountable as well. Yeah. Hopefully that advice helps you out, uh, Duffuck, you think. Um, thank you for your question. Our next question, posted on Reddit by user BetoGM. And the question is, in gaming, why is it called cheap when a game level or character is extremely difficult? Like, of games that I've played, like, the one that always comes to mind is, like, Dark Souls 2. And just some of those areas just come across as, like, really cheap in their difficulty. Right, okay. But what is it that makes them cheap as opposed to just hard? What I'm thinking of would be, like, some of the level design. So, like, when you're going through uh, the Black Gulch, for example, and you're just, like, getting constantly hit by these poison projectiles that you just really can't dodge or do anything about so then you're just constantly getting poisoned and then and so then you're either so unless you brought like a ton of poison grass or you're using all of your of your healing consumables and there's just nothing you can really do about it that to me has always kind of felt a little a little cheap because it's just like okay i'm taking all this damage i'm I have all of these negative effects building up but there's nothing I can really do about it as a player to prevent it so it's an unfair situation where you have no control over it is what you feel uh, like. yeah that's I, what cheap I is. feel like that's a fair a fair assessment I, I think that that is kind of the general idea of what something that's in a game that's cheap um and sometimes you find where people find things that are overpowered in the game and they'll call that cheap yeah some things that disrupts like the game's balance <laughs> Right. Or perceived balance, because it's not always that it's it's this is just someone's opinion. So it's it's not necessarily that someone calling something cheap is always going to be necessarily a truthful, factual statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because sometimes what people call cheap is really just like, I don't know how to I don't know how to deal with this or counter it. Um, I, I definitely agree with you guys. I when I think of the word cheap. In video games, I think of like I'll be playing like some sort of game with my brothers and I'll do some sort of I'll kill them when they can't do anything about it or do essentially do something like you said where they're unable to either get out of the way or counter it. And so, you know, they'll, you know, that was cheap or you know, that was a cheap shot. That's really what comes down to me. Yeah. And with with video games, like, uh, Video game designers are trying to make something that is complex and challenging, but when it crosses the line of feeling like something that is impossible to do and you have no control over it, I think that's when you, you start calling it cheap because they're essentially designing a computer 
to serve as your challenger. So it's not like another person who's reacting in real time. They've developed kind of an AI system to uh, react from your actions. So it's not as dynamic as a person reacting. So sometimes I think it has to be designed in a way that is, it doesn't think like a human. So they have to put almost like super abilities on the AI. And then sometimes that can turn out basically being impossible for you to beat or feel that way. And I think that's where, that's how you get to calling something cheap because it's not like you're playing against somebody else on an equal playing field. They're trying, they're right. trying to design an AI that you are competing against. And it's, I think it's a very fine line for making something really hard to all of a sudden becoming, wow, right. this is completely unfair. It could be unfair. sometimes almost like a, an, a troll, right? Or a, an unnecessary aspect of the game that really has no purpose besides frustrating you. It also sounds like you were talking a little bit about like input reading too. So like where the CPUs can like, like they're able to react in a specific way, like when you're uh, when you're pushing the right buttons. I know that's a thing in some RPGs where it's like, I think if you like go to heal, like the CPUs like design is almost like programmed to instantly become more aggressive or abuse that opening. Uh, Lori, Josh, do you guys have any thoughts on what's cheap in video games? I am um, a negative zero, well, negative zero, negative like 35 on the gaming scale. But I do agree that if you are doing something that is kind of making it unfair, that does seem a little cheap. But yeah. um, I don't, I genuinely have no understanding of video games. Well, it's a weird thing because in a way, when you're playing a single player game against the computer, a lot of times the computer has infinitely stronger abilities than you in some cases, but it's like, how far is it going with those? Because if it's, if it's just, if it doesn't go far enough, then you're gonna be like, this game's too easy. This isn't even any fun. So I, I think that's really one of the hard things of designing challenge in a video game. Yeah. And I, I think it's really easy to go from this is really hard to this is cheap. Yeah. So the idea is that when it's cheap, it's like they've made it so hard that you can't do well. Like they've yeah. they've gamed the game. Well, or or it's like a they've really pushed it right up to the edge and then like they went too far over. Like you're playing and then something happens and you're like, well, that's not how this is supposed to work. Like where a game like starts bending its own rules a little bit because it's, you know, it's the, it's the computer it can do whatever it wants. The computer cheated. Yeah, no, I think if you've created a world, you got to stick with the rules that you start with. And if you bend those, that makes sense why it would be called cheap. Like it's not, you're kind of bending the rules of the world that has been created. Right. So would you say, Laurie, this is just a hypothetical question. If you created like a world where there are these people that had superpowers that they could like, you know, kind of move stuff with their hands and like could do like really high jumps and stuff. But then say, I don't know, seven, eight movies in, they could then fly out in space without suffocating. Yeah, that, I think that'd that's. Be- BS. pretty cheap right yeah 
They do yeah. that. They did that in Star Wars. Oh, did they? <laughs> Josh oh. knows how I feel. <laughs> Not again. Sorry, it's a movie. But when <laughs> when Princess Leia <laughs> is like out in space, and then yeah, they that, bring her back in and bring her back to life. Powers. What do you mean? That's cheap. That, that's the day Star Wars died. That was bad. <laughs> it's also it's also called jumping the shark in like movies. So I probably oh, yeah. take this question less in gaming and more in movies because mm-hmm. that's what I relate to more. But I definitely understand when bending the rules that you've created about your world, it just it doesn't work for me. It is cheap. Yeah. Cheap. You guys were focusing on the multiplayer, like the single player aspect, but I feel like I've experienced it in like a multiplayer aspect where like I'm playing against someone and they do something that's like kind of bad manners. Yeah. And you're like, well, what the hell? I thought you were cool. <laughs> um, and then they do something stupid. So I, I definitely in, in multiplayer, I feel like there's more of a case where it's uh in in single player like it's a game design thing in multiplayer i feel like a lot of the times it's it could be a balanced thing where something is too strong or a lot of the times it's just people complaining because they're not winning me included when i play mortal Kombat, i claim scorpion is a broken character and it's not fair and i don't i don't think that's actually true but that's what it feels like when i play so i i I feel like that's I'm not saying all com- all like cheap complaints in multiplayer games are um not real, but I feel like a lot of them are. Like it's not that Scorpion's cheap, it's just that I'm not very good at Mortal Kombat. Like if we're being honest. Well, I was going to go to Rocket League cuz I know Josh plays Rocket League. Mm-hmm. So like there's a mechanic in Rocket League where if you get going fast enough, you can blow up the other, the enemy player. Oh yeah. And People can really abuse that mechanic where it's in the game for a reason, right? You can use yep. it use it to your advantage to either clear out the defense. People call you cheap for doing but, it. Right. So it's like that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. And and I I wasn't guess I guess I wasn't thinking of it in a single player sense. I was thinking more of multiplayer. But I, I guess to me that would fall under the umbrella of I don't think that's cheap. I think people are just complaining about mechanics that exist in the game. Right, right. I, out of frustration, which I've definitely done before. So right, makes you want to punch. <laughs> <your screen. laughs> All right, uh, Beto GM. I hope we have cleared that up for you and why it is called cheap when games do certain things. Um, our last question for the week comes in from user Sexy Ed Meesey, and the question is: What are you supposed to do if someone wants to shake your hand, but you've been holding a cold, sweaty beer and? As a person who has sweaty hands just normally sometimes, um, run. <laughs> um, do, we, do people shake hands still? Is that a thing we still have to do? Well, I kind of hope that due to COVID that could just go away. Yeah, it feels like it's coming back, though. People have been shaking my hand recently. I mean, I still do it when I meet people at my job, so... <laughs> It just—it seems like it's just always been the, you know, expect societal conventions, so to speak. More specifically, from the question, um, it, it talks about your hand being sw- from wet from holding a cold, sweaty beer. 
So I and I guess in that case, first question is, is the other person also holding a cold, sweaty beer? You offer them a beer instead of shaking their hand. That's what you Ooh, should do. Smart. <laughs> smart. Based on the things that the, the user had suggested, wipe it dry on your pants and let it be cold. I feel like that's what I would do. I'd be like, oh, hold on. <laughs> and then I'd be like, sorry. Um, and I would definitely wipe it off on my pants, I guess. Um, but is Is a cold, wet hand better than a hot, wet hand? I think so. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I don't know why I'm so like adamant, but yes. I mean, you could say something like, oh, my hands, what? <laughs> my hands wet. <laughs> don't say that. That's, uh, that's what I always do. I always find an excuse and I will, just, I will like, I like to wave uh-huh. at people, but like, I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I was just moving all this firewood and now my hand's full of all this crap. <laughs> I use language to like express like, oh, it's so nice to see you. I would shake your hand, but I'm not going to because of this. And that people, people I find react very, ple- they seem to have a very pleasant reaction to that. You're a handshake dodger. He's a pro. Well, He's a pro. Yeah. I have one solution, I think, to, to this question. Right, what is it? And that is hold your beer in your left hand, right? Mm. Just always hold your beer in your left hand. Assuming that you shake with your right <laughs> hand and that you have two arms. But assuming this is <laughs> unplanned. Like you'd have to always, always keep it in your left hand. I can't, I can't live like that. <laughs> um, well, side note, my, my older brother, they, he always drinks with his off hand because they play a drinking game that if you're holding your drink in your right hand or your dominant hand and someone says Buffalo, you have to um, chug your drink. So it's just become a, a thing where everybody holds their drink in the left hand. The game sounds Wasn't their left hand then their dominant hand at that point? For beer drinking. (laughs) That's that's a good point. I'm going to start yelling buffalo at random people now. (laughs) Why is it called buffalo? That's great. Never heard that. I don't know. They went to university. They're crazy up there. Sounds like a thing. Um, like what, what are you supposed to do? I guess you say something or like. I would say make it kind of make it apparent that you're wiping your hand off, right? So like do it on the front of your pants so the person knows that you're not. But also know, if have, you, don't you have don't have something else on your hand, I guess, right? Yeah, if you're in a setting where you're you got an ice cold beer in your hand, like is it really a formal setting where a perfect like, you know, a perfectly clean, dried, temperatured hand is expected? I don't think I don't it's think expected. So. I think that somebody's probably trying to greet you. You can definitely talk your way out of it like Josh does. You can choose to go the the wipe your hand, cold hand kind of vibe. I think no matter what you do, people will be accepting of it. Just don't spit yeah. in your hand and then shake, I guess. <laughs> Unless that's a thing that you and your bro do. That's true. That's true. Um, but I also think like a, a, a head shake, like a head nod, like, Hey, what's up? Or you can also go in for a hug. If that's like even 10 steps further than a handshake. 
No, but it sounds contact. like no. somebody wants to shake your hand. So I think that that hand's coming at you. It's you're already you're already there. They you're chose the their <laughs> own journey here. That's on them. If they don't want whatever kind of hand you're going to give them, then they shouldn't have reached out to give you a handshake. I, I more that I think about it, I think cold hands completely fine. If it's me, I'm wiping my hand on my like my pants to dry it off, and it's just cold hand. I think that's totally fine. That's that's where I'm settled. What about a fist bump? Uh, me having a cold hand wouldn't bother me. So I would just do the handshake if that's what they wanted. I don't care if I have a cold hand. Yeah, really? You shouldn't care at all. I mean, if they go in for the handshake, that's on them, not on you. You're the receiving <laughs> end of that. <laughs> just saying. Sorry. Sorry about my hands. I, I was just eating some honey. <laughs> you can't guarantee what the quality of hand will be okay that's fair i guess quality (laughs) of hand go for the handshake at your own risk all right thank you for the question sexy ed meesey i hope that we have helped you on your quest to figure out how to shake someone's hand but you've had a cold sweaty beer in your hand before that um if you have any questions from Reddit that you would like to direct our way, send them to our email, no stupid answers podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at NOSA underscore podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please give us five stars on your podcast app of choice. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye, all. And then sometimes I don't wake up when the timer goes off, and then I wake up three hours later, and I love naps. <laughs>